Psalm 73 is where we're going to spend our time together this morning. It's, it's a longer psalm, so in a moment I'm going to read to you uh, the first 15 verses of this psalm. We'll, we'll look at the entire psalm together, but in a moment I just want to read to you the first 15 verses of Psalm 73. So go ahead and find that in your Bible. If you did not bring a Bible this morning, that's okay because in the seat before you down the book rack, you should find a copy of the Bible. Pick that Bible up and open right to the middle of that Bible, and you should be in the book of Psalms, and then just find Psalm 73. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you. Read it and learn about the God who loves you and desires a relationship with you. Psalm 73 is where we're going to spend our time together this morning. So, so I, I think I've told you this about you before, and, and um, I, I confess it's, it's somewhat of a problem. I really do like candy. Like, like, I like chocolate and really all sweets, but, but candy in particular, like, like jelly beans, Mike and Ike's, Pixie Sticks, whatever. If it's sugar, I like it. And so, so I came across this, this job posting, and this is a legit real job posting on LinkedIn. Uh, and, and, and it was from a, a, a candy company in Canada called the Canada Candy Funhouse. I mean, that just sounds great, doesn't it? So anyway, they, they, they put this job description online for a job post that they're hiring for an official candy taster for their company. I kid, yeah, that sounds great, right? And so, so the way this works, I kid you not, is, is, is the way they've got planned out is that person who, who is their official candy taster would also be kind of like the ambassador for the company as well and, and, and would taste about 3,000 pieces of candy a month. Pretty good, right? That works out to about 115 pieces of candy a day. I, I mean, I, I know that's probably not good at that diabetes and all that kind of stuff, but still, that's a pretty good job, right? 115 pieces of candy a day. You get to help decide what candy they market, what candy they don't market. It sounds like a dream job, right? And, and, and so as I read through that, that posting, uh, there were a couple things that stuck out to me that I thought were really interesting. One, and this was really good, uh, th- it said, no experience required. That's pretty good, right? So any of you can apply for that job, but don't because I plan on applying myself. But, but any of you could apply for that job because you don't need any experience, right? I've got lots of experience. I've tasted a lot of candy, but that's another story for another day. So no experience required. And, and now check this out too, right? There is an age requirement. The minimum, the minimum age you have to be to apply for this job, I kid you not, is five years old. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Now, 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 they went ahead on their job post and posted the annual salary for this job. The annual salary for this job in in American dollars is $78,000 a year. Isn't that good? Now, 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 I know, you're, you're all going to go home and look this thing up and you're all going to apply. And I don't blame you. I'm going to do it too. But, 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 but think about this. Think about this. I know, I know in the next week or so, uh, a lot of our students are going back to school. We've got some school teachers in the room. If you're a school teacher, just, just, just humor me for a minute. If you're a school teacher, would you raise your hand? All right, so we've got a few school teachers in here. Can you imagine a school teacher? That, that, you know, first week of class and you're teaching the fourth grade and little Johnny walks in and says, hey, last day of school, Right? I just got me a job, me tasting candy, $78,000 a year. And if you're a school teacher, we make a lot more money than you are. You got a master's degree. You've got years of experience. You had to pass state tests and all this kind of stuff. And little Johnny in your class is going to make more money than you just by tasting candy. Right? Isn't that good? And so, so if you are a school teacher and that kid comes to your class this year and says, I got this job, what you might say or think, you might think something like this. That's not fair. 
And it's not, right? Because little Johnny at 10 years old doesn't deserve to make $78,000 a year tasting candy. He doesn't, right? Now, you think about life. We have all had those moments where we've either thought or said, man, that's not fair. Every one of you in this room, when you were a kid, you said it over and over again, didn't you? When, when your sibling got, you know, treatment that you thought you should have gotten, when your sibling got something that you thought you should have gotten, or that kid down the street got something that you thought you should have gotten, you said what? That's not fair. During your childhood, you said that a lot, I bet. Now, now you're an adult, most of you are adults in this room, and, and you, you might not say it as much, But I bet you, even as an adult, there are probably times in your life when you look around and you see what someone else has and what you don't have. You see see how someone else seems to have life so easy and, and you seem to be struggling all the time. I bet you, you've looked around you and you've probably thought, maybe you've even said it, I don't know, but you've certainly thought, man, that's not fair. And you think about it as a follower of Jesus, I mean, for our followers of Jesus, I mean, this has been, been, been an issue for us uh, since the dawn of Christianity because we'll, 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 we'll look around us and we'll see people who aren't living for Christ, who are just doing their own thing, right? Uh, they, they haven't been to church in a day in their life and, and everything seems to be going great for them. They, they're wealthy. They've got the big house. They've got money in the bank. They've got the nice car and all those kinds of things. And, and you've been following Jesus faithfully for a number of years and, and nothing seems to be working out for you. And you say, man, that's not fair. I mean, he doesn't love Jesus. He's not walking with the Lord. She's not walking with Christ. And everything seems to be just peachy keen for them. And, and my life seems to be so hard. That's not fair. And after all, God is good, or is he? And see what happens when we begin to think that thought of, man, that's not fair. What happens is then we begin to doubt. Well, maybe God's not so good. Uh, Maybe this Christianity thing that 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 I've given my life to, Maybe I've given my life to a falsehood. I have no idea. You see, when you begin to think that's not fair, that's where your mind can eventually go. That's why this psalm that we're looking at this morning is so helpful for us. Because in this psalm, the psalmist, the psalmist of this particular psalm is a man named Asaph. He is going to say, essentially, life's not fair. And and I think what we're going to see in this psalm that we're looking at this morning are three ways that as followers of Jesus, we can respond when we have those thoughts go through our mind, life isn't fair. Three ways as followers of Jesus, we can respond when we have those thoughts, life is not fair. Now, here we are. We've been in the book of Psalm for a while now, but let me just remind you where we are in the book of Psalm. Because I know we haven't looked at every single psalm. We've been kind of hitting the highlights along the way. We've looked at a lot of psalms, but there's a hundred. 50 of them. We, we just don't have the time to look at every single one of them. But if you remember, there are five different books in the Psalms, right? Remember that? And in those five books of the Psalms that make up the, the collection of Psalms, uh, uh, they, they are to remind us of the Torah. And, and I told you several times that, that each book has a distinct theme. For example, when we looked at the first book of Psalms, uh, most of those were written by King David. And it seemed to be that the theme of that book was God rescues his king. David cries out, God rescues. Uh, Book two of the Psalms, the theme is a bit different. The theme of book two is God 
rescues his people through his king. Now here we are, we're starting book three. Now at the end of Psalm 72, the end of Psalm 72 says, this concludes the Psalms of David. Now we're gonna see a few more Psalms of David as we move through the Psalter. But for the most part, as we enter into the second half of the book of Psalms, we're hearing from different people other than David. And in book three of of the Psalms, which we're starting this morning and we'll spend a couple of weeks in, book three, the theme seems to be something like this. Why has God abandoned his king and his people? Because many of the Psalms that we find in book three of the Psalms were written while God's people were in exile. The temple's been destroyed. At least we'll get there eventually in book three. The temple's been destroyed and, and the people are in Babylon and they're lamenting and longing for the day that they're back in Jerusalem. And so it's, it's a bit different in book three. But, but this morning we're looking at this first Psalm in book three, Psalm 73. And we're simply gonna talk about ways that we can respond when life seems unfair. So take your Bibles, Psalm 73, go ahead and rise to your feet. I wanna read the first 15 verses to you. Listen to what the, God's word says. God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly, nearly went astray, for I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have an easy time until they die, and their bodies are well fed. Uh, they are not in trouble like others. They are not afflicted like most people. Therefore, pride is their necklace, and violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge out from fatness. The imaginations of their hearts run wild. They mock and they speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten oppression. Uh, they set their mouths against heaven, and their tongues strut across the earth. Therefore, his people turn to them and drink in their overflowing words. The wicked say, how can God know? Does the Most High know everything? Look at them, the wicked. They are always at ease and they increase their wealth. Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? For I am afflicted all day long and punished every morning. If I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for time uh, to study your word together. And I I know, Father, in this room, uh, for all of us, there have been those times over life where we've said, man, it's just not fair. And so, Father, I pray Uh, that if we're going through a season of life this morning uh, where we are constantly thinking life's not fair, Father, this morning you would correct that way of thinking and that you would remind us of your goodness and that you would show us, Father, how blessed we really are. And so, Father, here we are. We're listening to your voice this morning and trusting that you're going to speak to us as you do. Help us to listen with hearts of obedience and I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. So, so Asaph is the author of this particular psalm. In fact, Psalms 73 through 83 are all written by Asaph. And, and, and Asaph, uh, he, he, he was appointed to, to, to work in the tabernacle and, and he was a song leader, obviously a writer of songs. And, and so he is going to help us to, to think about uh, what it looks like to respond to God in some different ways. And so, so look how this psalm opens. He says in verse one, God is, indeed good to Israel to the pure in heart. Obviously, Asaph knew that. He had seen the work of God. He had seen how God had raised up David as king and, and, and probably how God had raised up Solomon as king. And, and he, he saw how the nation of Israel prospered. Asaph knew that God was good. But then there's this tension. Look at what he says. First verse, God is good. But second verse, but as for me, 
My feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray. Asaph says, I I had this season, listen, I had this season where I began to what? I began to doubt God. I I had this season where where I lost my foot and or about lost my foot and where I about slipped and fell away from God. Look at what it says, verse three, for I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. What, What Asaph does is he looks out. And he sees the wicked and he does what every single one of us do from time to time. He began to compare his life to the life of others. And and, and I just want you to know, when you begin to compare your life to the lives of others, oftentimes it will create in your life some envy. Because when you look out and see the lives of others, you begin to think some of the same things that Asaph begins to think. Look what he says. They have an easy time until they die. They don't follow God. They don't follow Yahweh. Uh, They follow false gods. They do their own thing, but yet they have an easy time until they die. Their bodies are well fed. Or you come down and you look at what it says in in, in verse seven. This is wonderful imagery. Their eyes bulge out from fatness of the the imaginations of their hearts run wild. They mock, they speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten oppression. People turn to me, goes on to say, and you come down to verse 12. Look at them, the wicked. They are always at ease and they increase in their wealth. You can hear it in his voice. It's not fair. I'm following God. I'm trying to do the right thing and I'm not wealthy. My life isn't easy. Things don't always work out for me, but it seems like the wicked, they get away with everything. They prosper, even though they're oppressing people, even though they're oppressing us, they prosper. Their life's easy. They're well fed. It's not fair. And now look at what he says, because this is what happens. Verse, Verse three, I envied the arrogant. You see it. He wants what they have. You come down, look what else. You come, for example, verse 14. I am afflicted all day long and punished every morning. You can hear it in his voice, can't you? Not only the envy, but the discouragement. I'm afflicted, I'm punished. You come down to verse, um, you've come down to verse 21. When I became embittered and my innermost being was wounded. You can hear it in his voice, can't you? Not only the discouragement, not only the envy, but the anger. You come back up, listen to what it says in verse 16. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless. There's envy, there's discouragement, there's anger, there's confusion. Come on now, you've been there. God, it doesn't make sense. I'm really trying. I'm really trying to do the right thing. I'm really trying to honor you. And it doesn't seem to be working out so well for me because because it seems like the harder I try, the more challenging life gets. It seems like the more I pray and the more I stay the word, the more I share my faith, the more I, I serve you, the more difficult my life gets. I don't understand it because it seems like everybody else is doing all right. I look over here and this person has their act together. I look over there and their, that person has her act together. I mean, I, I wish my marriage was like their marriage. I wish my my kids acting like their kids. I wish I had his job. I wish I had uh, their house. I wish I had this. I wish I had that. But, but I don't get any of that. And I'm trying. It doesn't make any sense. Life seems so unfair. Jesus, you promised me. You promised me abundant life, but life doesn't seem to be so abundant. And so what do you do? When you're in that place in life, when you look around, it seems like everybody else is thriving and you're not. What do you do? Well, let me, let me show you. First, right, you examine your focus. Are you too focused on what you can see 
in the present, right? Some of you know because you saw the pictures on Facebook. Luke and I went on a little getaway this weekend. He's going to sixth grade. And so we wanted to celebrate that milestone and, and him transitioning to a new phase in life. And so we, we went to our favorite place. We went to the mountains, just me and Luke. And, 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 and we went to just spend a couple of days of fishing, right? And, 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 and Luke loves fishing. So we spent two full days of fishing. And so getting prepared, I, I grabbed an old book bag. In fact, I grabbed a backpack I had back here in, in the baptismal area that I used to bring clothes in to change. And so I grabbed that backpack backpack and I, I put my, our tackle in that backpack. I got our rods and reels and we headed to Black Mountain, North Carolina. And right there at Black Mountain in a little town called Old Fort, uh, there's a stream that runs through Old Fort that, that are regulated trout fishing waters, right? Man, I've never been trout fishing, but, but why not? So I watched all our YouTube videos on, on how to trout fish, what kind of bait to use and all those kinds of things. We took our rods and reels, we got in the water, we weighed out and man, we, we were just looking forward to catching some trout. We waited and waited and we spent hours in that water. In that water, it was so crystal clear. It was beautiful. There was no humidity in North Carolina, right? It was about 85 degrees, a nice gentle breeze blew by. I mean, it was just a wonderful day in the street. And we saw them as we looked down the water, we could see them passing our feet. All these trout, right? There were millions of them, right? There's trout everywhere. So it seemed we put our line down in there. Uh, apparently they could see us too uh, because, because uh, they, they did not grab anything. We spent hours in that stream watching the trout pass by and we did not catch a single one one of them. That's why we went. We went to trout fish and couldn't catch a single trout fish on, on Friday. We went to another lake that, that wasn't a trout fishing lake. We went to a lake, we caught a bunch of fish there. And then yesterday, Saturday, we got up early in the morning and we went down the Chimney Rock. Some of you are familiar with Chimney Rock. We went down and, and running through Chimney Rock is, is Broad River. And, and, and so we found a parking spot there at Broad River. And, 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 and here's what the parking spot said, designated for anglers. Right? I mean, they have designated parking for fishermen. Like if, if they've got designated parking for fishermen, there must be fish here. And, and right there at the entrance of that little parking place, there's a sign that has pictures of the different species of trout that make their way down the broad river. And so we got in the river, we weighed out there. And we, 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 it wasn't like uh, the, the river in Old Fort. I mean, it wasn't quite as clear, uh, but we put our line in and, and it seemed like they were a little biting, right? Luke would get a little tug, but could never pull one out. We spent two days trout fishing and didn't catch a one. As, as the day went on yesterday, I just began praying, God, please, just one trout. God, I mean, after all, I'm a good father, right? I mean, I brought my son up here for a getaway. This is a good dad thing to do. Would you please just give him one trout? God, please, would you provide a, just a miracle? Like just let one jump out of the water and let's grab it. Come on, God, help us out. One trout, just give us a miracle. God did not answer that prayer. And I felt it, right? This is not the abundant life God promised me, right? I'm supposed to, you know, cast my nets down and pull up a, a big old catch, right? Peter did it. Why can't I do it, right? And, and so I'm wanting those fish to come up. They never come up. And so we packed up. And as we're packing up, packing up, I, I, I was getting the tackle back in the bag and I, and, I, and I reached my hand down in my backpack. I hadn't used this backpack in months, I reached down in my hand and I felt something in my backpack. I pulled it out. You're not gonna believe what I pulled out my backpack. Look, look. <laughs> Two Chick-fil-A gift cards. 
Like, I don't know how they got in there. Apparently, some one of you probably gave them to me months ago. I have no idea. But down deep in my backpack were two $10 Chick-fil-A gift cards. God knows that trout don't taste good. And God knows that I need a fried chicken sandwich, right? I mean, and all of a sudden, right? Yes, I do have the abundant life, right? I pull them Chick-fil-A gift cards like, Luke, don't worry. We don't have trout, but we got chicken coming. So it was going to be all right, right? But you think about it. When you think about abundant life, when you think about abundant life, come on now, that's the way you think about it. Life is abundant when God gives you something, right? When God gives you that, that, that job that you've desired, when God gives you that car that you've been praying for, when God gives you that house you long for, when God gives you those Chick-fil-A gift cards, when, when God gives you something, that's when you're, you're gonna say what? Oh, I am so blessed, right? You, you hear it all the time. You see that guy riding around that nice car. He's a follower of Jesus. He's like, I'm just blessed. I'm just blessed, right? I'm blessed because we equate blessing with what, church? We equate blessing with what we have. And if I don't have a lot, then I must not be blessed. You understand? That is the wrong focus. Because here's Asaph. He's looking around and the wicked are blessed. And he's saying, God, what's wrong with me? I, I, I don't have that, right? Listen, my friend, I know you know this, but let me just remind you because you need to remind, like I need to be reminded, blessing, abundant life is not what you have. Abundant life is who you have. When Christ calls us to an abundant life, he's calling us to a life with him. That's abundant life. And, and, and in this psalm, right, what happens is Asaph is too focused on what he can see in the present. And for some of you, that's your issue as well. From the time to time, it's my issue that I get too focused on what I can see with my own eyes. I don't have this and I don't have that. And so therefore I must not be blessed. And it's not fair, God, right? And I get too unfocused on what I cannot see. And what I cannot see is how God is oftentimes at work in my heart, preparing me for eternity. What I cannot see, now watch this. That person who rides by in that Mercedes and you look at it and say, I wish I had that car. What you cannot see, especially if that person is not a follower of Jesus, you cannot see the misery that's in that person's heart. You see, we're so focused on what we can see, but we're not focused near enough on what we cannot see. And what we cannot see is this eternal work that God is doing inside of us. What we cannot see is the Spirit of God living inside of us, longing for communion with us, you see? And so I think oftentimes when you have that thought go through your mind, life isn't fair that what you need to do is just examine your focus. And if you examine your focus, what you might find out is that you're too focused on what you can see in the present and not near enough focused on what you cannot see, which is the work that God is accomplishing in you and through you in every life situation. But we're not done there. Not only does this psalm, psalm call us to examine our focus, this psalm also calls us to examine our response. Because every time, right? Every time you see that person drive by who you know isn't walking with Jesus, uh, but looks so successful, you see that, 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 that big house down the street that those people are living in, that you know they're living heathen lives, right? You're gonna have a response. Asaph has a response. Listen, this is, this is so interesting and really kind of heartbreaking. You come down and look what he says in Psalm 73, verse 13. Did I purify and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? Or read on what he says. I'm afflicted all day long and God, you're punishing me every morning. Or think about what he says in verse 15. 
I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. God, here's what I'm thinking, but I know I can't say it. And what I'm thinking is, you're punishing me. What I'm thinking is, I don't know if it's worth it to follow you, God. You ever been there? Sure you have. You've been in that season when life seems unfair, when it's hard, when life's not working out like you think it should, when you're not getting that abundant life as you've defined it. And you begin to wonder, is it worth it? I mean, why am I even following Jesus? If nothing's working out for me, then God must not be so good after all. And you've had those moments of doubt. Maybe it's not worth it. Now, let me help you understand this. If that's your response, think about it in this way. You'll be tempted to say that following Jesus is a waste when you want results from God more than a relationship with God. You understand? If that's what you're focused on in your Christian life, what can God give me? You are missing what God has already given you. And that's access to Him, a relationship with Him where you can know Him and walk with Him and understand His his power at work in your life. Or think about this. You'll be tempted to say that following Jesus is a waste when you try to make sense of life by applying the world's wisdom instead of God's wisdom. Because here's what Asaph does. He looks around and he sees what everybody else has and he sees what he does not have. Well, to be successful, I have to have this. To be prosperous, I have to have this. And what he does is applies the world's wisdom because the world says, in order to be someone, here's the qualifications. In order to be someone, here's what you gotta have. Big house, education, money in the bank, all these kinds of things. That's prosperity. But David has already told us in Psalm 1 that prosperity is what? Prosperity comes when you what? You base your life on the word of God. You're planted like a tree by the streams of water. That's the prosperous life when you meditate on the law day and night. That's God's wisdom. Get yourself in his word, commune with him, you see. But go back one more time, if you don't mind. You'll be tempted to say that following Jesus is a waste when you make sense of life by applying the world's wisdom. And so is that you? Go on to the next one. But on the flip side, you'll always say, now listen, follow me carefully. You'll always say following Jesus is worth it when you change your if onlys to if thens. Let me explain what I mean by that. What happens for many of us is we walk around in this life saying things like this. If only, if only my marriage was like their marriage. If only my kids were like their kids. If only I had that job. If only I could make those grades. If only I could get into that school. If only I had that kind of house. If only this, if only that. If only, then I would feel like I had an abundant life. If only, then I would feel like I'm blessed. If only, if only, if only. And many of us go around this life just with that frame of mind, don't we? If only. And I just want to challenge you, Father Jesus, to change the way you think. Because what you see in the first half of this psalm, it really is a matter of perspective. And Asaph in the first half of this psalm, he has the wrong perspective. And changing that perspective from if only to if then. Here's what I mean. What you and I should be thinking is if 
Christ died for me and rose again for me, then I can be devoted to him no matter what life throws at me. If God is faithful to me and he is faithful to you, then I can follow him no matter what. If God loves me so much that he gave his son for me, then I can do whatever he says. If, if God is for me and not against me, then, 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 then I can change my life by the power of the Spirit in such a way that I'm living for his calling. You see what I'm saying? For many of us, we're far too often saying, if only... And we need to change that perspective in such a way that we're saying, if then, if God loves me, which he does, then whatever he gives me is for my good and his glory. You see what I'm saying? And so it's a matter of examining your focus. And it's also a matter of examining your response. When life doesn't seem fair, how are you responding? And finally, it's a matter of examining your heart. Notice what happens. Now, what happens, and this is really interesting, and we got to move for the sake of time. What happens is, is the second half of the psalm takes a dramatic turn. Look, look, this is so interesting to me. So you, you end up in verse 15 where he says, man, if I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. When I tried to understand all this, verse 16, it seemed hopeless. Now, underline this phrase. Until I entered God's sanctuary. Then I understood their destiny. Indeed, you put them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How suddenly they become a desolation. They come to an end, swept away by terrors. Like one walking from a, or excuse me, waking from a dream. Lord, when arising, you would despise their image. Just think about this. Asaph looks out and he sees, right? How the wicked seem to prosper and he does not. And then he walks in to the sanctuary. And when, when Asaph writes this psalm, I don't know what was standing. If it was a tabernacle standing or later on, if it was a temple standing. But he walks in the sanctuary of God. Was he th- see? Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but, but, but that ancient temple that stood in Jerusalem. Did you know this? When you walk into that ancient temple, engraved on the walls were images that were to remind you of the Garden of Eden. And so to to be in the temple, you were reminded what? And that God wants to commune with you, just like he communed with Adam and Eve before they fell into sin. When you were in that holy place, you know what else you saw? Sacrifices. You saw the blood. The blood of bulls and goats, the blood of lambs, that were sacrificed as an atonement for the sins of people. And if you walk, now watch this, come on now, this is so good. When you walk into the temple, do you know what you're reminded of? You're reminded that what God wants is God wants to forgive your sins so that you can be holy and in his presence. You see? And so now when Asaph walks into the sanctuary, he's reminded that he really does have an abundant life. He really is prosperous. Why? Because he has what? He has a God who wants to commune with him. He has a God who has made a way through that sacrificial system to forgive him of his sins. You see what I'm saying? If you are not a follower of God, if you are outside the covenant family, and unless you proselyte to the faith, you didn't have that. You didn't have forgiveness of sins. Unless you recognize Yahweh as God 
If you followed false gods, you didn't have that. Do you see? It's what happens in the presence of God is all of a sudden Asaph's perspective begins to change. And I just want to to, to help you to think about this. One, beware of neglecting God's presence. Because here's what happens, right? And you know this, when we're in this setting together, worshiping every Sunday, you are reminded that no, you might not have everything you want in this life, but you have what's most important. You have a relationship with God because Christ Jesus died in your place. His blood was shed for you so you could have forgiveness of sins. You might not have a Lexus. You might not have a Mercedes. You might not have millions of dollars in the bank, but what you do have is you have a relationship with the God of all creation that no one can take away from you that was given to you by the death of his son on a cross. You have that. That is yours for Forever. And there's something about being in the presence of God that reminds us that, yes, we really do have an abundant life. Or think about this. Beware not only of neglecting God's presence, but also beware of an idolatrous heart. Everybody still awake? Look at what he says. Come on down. You come down and you look at what he says in verse 21. When I became embittered and my innermost being was wounded. Now, if you're reading the CSB translation like I am, I want you to underline this next phrase. I was stupid. Isn't that good? I love that phrase. That was stupid. Come on now. You ever been there? You ever look back on life and you were envious, you were angry, you were, you were discouraged, and then, then, then God showed up and he changed your perspective and you look back on what you were complaining about. You look back on what you were concerned about. You look back on how you were envious of what others had. And then you said, well, that was dumb. That's exactly what the psalmist says. I was stupid. Look what else he says. Because it, it gets better. I was stupid and didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal towards you. Yet I'm always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me up in glory. Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. This is good. Verse, verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. My own body will fail me. I will literally have nothing at the end of this life, not even my flesh and blood. But you're not gonna fail me. I'm gonna have you. Forever. I think what's happening in these verses is Asaph, when he is in the presence of God, is coming face to face with a sin that he committed. The sin of idolatry. Now, come on, church. You got to listen up. Because you know this like I do. We struggle with idolatry. You know what idolatry is? Idolatry isn't making some kind of carved image out of wood and worshiping it. Idolatry is is putting anything in your life ahead of God. Idolatry is when you give preeminence in your life to something else besides the one who is worthy of it. Idolatry is when you pursue, right, something else more than you pursue a relationship with God. Idolatry is when you go to bed at night. And you lay awake thinking, man, I gotta have, I gotta have, I gotta have, I gotta get, I gotta get, I gotta get, I gotta be, I gotta be, I gotta be. That's idolatry. And we're all guilty of it. And now here the psalmist is, and he says, man, I was so stupid. Because what I was doing, I was committing idolatry. 
I was idolizing prosperity. I was idolizing wealth. I was idolizing what they had. I was envious. That's what I wanted. And come on now, you've been there. I've been there too, where I've put so much stuff ahead of God. I know what God wants from me, but it's not good enough. I know that God has given me himself access to him, a relationship with him, but it's not good enough because what I really want is that, is that, that step up in my career. What I really want is that kind of marriage. What I really want is that new car. That's what I really want. God, what you offer me is not good enough for me. That is the heart of an idolater and it's stupid. That's what the psalmist says because it fails to see, right? The eternal work that God is doing inside of you. It fails to see, right, that that all along the way, God is with you. He's holding your right hand. It fails to see, right, that that who do you have in heaven but him? It fails to see, right, that, that even when your heart and flesh will fail, God is your strength. And so the reality is, is that for many of us in this room, probably what needs to happen this morning as the Spirit of God is speaking to us is there needs to be some repentance. And what we need to repent of is our own idolatry. God, here's what I've placed before you. Here's what I've placed significance on. I've been saying it's not fair, but the reality is I've been an idolater. I've prioritized the wrong things in my life. And maybe this morning God is calling you to turn from some idolatry. Or think about this. Beware of neglecting God's presence. Beware of an idolater's heart. Beware of forgetting eternity. Notice again, and we're done with this. Notice what the psalmist says. You come back up, verse 18. Indeed, you put them in slippery places. Remember back in in verse three, where the psalmist said, was it verse three? Yes, uh, excuse me, verse two. In verse two, the psalmist said, "But, but, but, but I almost slipped. I almost lost my footing. Now you come down and you see what he says here in this particular verse. Verse 18, you put them in slippery places. Those people that I envy, Uh, Those people that I I long to be like, those people that I I want their stuff from, they're the ones that are going to fall. Right? Look at what he says. How suddenly they become a desolation. They come to an end, swept away by terrors. You come down and look what it says in verse 27. Those far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, God's presence is my good. I've made the Lord God my refuge so I can tell about all you do. You see, the problem is we're so short-sighted. We look around us and we see what everybody else has and we say, I gotta have that. What we don't see are matters of the heart. And that person who has so much, that person who has so much, who it seems like their life is so easy. My friend, listen, you know this, I don't have to tell you this. If that person has rejected Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their lives, who cares what they have? Because they will spend forever apart from the good grace of God himself. That person who seems to have it so easy, if they've rejected Christ, there will come a day when it's not so easy anymore. Because that person who's rejected Jesus Christ, we believe, right, will spend an eternity in hell. You see, we forget the bigger picture. We're we're so busy complaining about the temporal things. I wish I had this. I wish I had that. I wish I was like them. I wish I had what they had that we forget about the eternal things. 
That no matter what you have or don't have right now, if you have Christ, you do really have an eternal inheritance. You have everything. You and I are going to sit here and talk about unfair? Well, come on now. You're talking about what's unfair in your life? Come on, if you're a follower of Jesus, think what you have been given in Christ. You've been given far more than you could ever deserve. God has not treated you unfairly. God has treated you with compassion and kindness and mercy and grace. And sometimes we just need to come back in the presence of God and be reminded, don't we? Be reminded of who he is, what he's done. And we need to repent of our idolatry. Do you know who had reason to say life is unfair? Jesus did. Jesus had every reason to say life's unfair. I mean, he did nothing wrong. He lived a perfect life, innocent in every way. He never sinned. And this one who never sinned, who showed compassion, who showed mercy, who forgave, who healed the sick, who caused the blind to see. This one who did so much good while he was on this earth was called crazy by his own family, was rejected by man and went to a cross and died. And on a cross, he could have cried out and said, God, my father, this is unfair. But he didn't. Why? Hebrews 12, for the joy set before him, the joy the joy of being in the Father's will, the joy of rescuing you from your sin, the joy of dying in your place to give you the gift of life, the joy of forgiving you of your sins, the joy of rising again to secure for you life abundant and eternal. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross and died the death you deserve and rose from the dead so you could be forever with him. Jesus had every right to say, man, it is unfair, but he didn't. Why? Because through his death and resurrection, there was joy. Joy in giving you a gift that you do not deserve. And this morning is an opportunity for you to receive that gift. You might feel sometimes like life is unfair. But I'm telling you, when you begin to taste and see that the Lord is good, and there's a gift of salvation for you, it will as you allow it by the help of the Spirit, change your perspective of life. And maybe you're in this room this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never experienced the goodness of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus. This morning, I want you to experience that gift. I want you to know the forgiveness of sins that comes through faith in Christ Jesus. In the corners of this room, there are two crosses. As we sing together, there are gonna be uh, people at those crosses who are ready to receive you and pray with you and help you today begin a relationship with Jesus. Would you go to one of those crosses and tell that person there, I want today to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that person will begin to talk to you about how today you can experience salvation by believing that Christ died for you and rose again for you so that your sins can be forgiven and you can be given the gift of life. If you're watching online, there's a number that will be on the screen. Text the name Jesus to that number and we'll reach out to you and help you begin a relationship with Jesus this morning. I'll be down front. I'd love to pray for you as well. Maybe you're here in this room this morning and you are a follower of Jesus. And as a follower of Jesus, you've fallen into the trap or you've looked out and you've said, life's unfair. This morning, maybe for you, if that's what you're saying, life is unfair, maybe there are some idols that you need to repent of. 
Maybe there's some idolatry in your heart that you need to turn from. And this morning, God is calling you to repent, to turn from that, to change your if-only statements to if-then statements. I don't know how God is at work in your heart this morning, but I know that He is. You respond to Him in obedience. Father, thank You this morning uh, for our time together. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You, Jesus, for the work of grace that You're doing in our lives. Father, for that person in here this morning who has never placed his faith or her faith in Jesus, I pray that person will come trusting you as Lord. And Father, for those of us who are your followers, I pray that you would help us this morning to turn from idolatry and turn back to you, to to gain that right perspective as we're in your presence together. Father, forgive us when we have those thoughts of life is unfair. And help us to remember how blessed we really are because we have you, our relationship with the God of all creation. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You rise to your feet as a time of invitation together. You come as the Spirit of God leads you this morning.